Support for this podcast and the following message come from Internet Essentials from Comcast. Connecting more than 6 million low-income people to low-cost, high-speed Internet at home. So students are ready for homework, class, graduation, and more. Now they're ready for anything. I'm Bob Boylan with All Songs Considered and kind of a special plus one podcast for you today. Ten years ago this week, My Chemical Romance put out the album The Black Parade. It's a concept record about how people deal with death. NPR Music's Dawood Tyler Amin is a fan of this record, but his love for it is complicated. So on this podcast, he's gathered a few like-minded friends to talk about the record from their unique perspective. I'll let Dawood take it from here. Enjoy. Imagine it's 10 years ago, 2006. You flip on a radio and skim through the big top 40 stations. What you'll hear is pop music going through some pretty big changes. That dude from NSYNC is making sexy R&B that critics love. American Idol is creating some actual pop stars and at least one rock star. The hottest rapper is a producer. The biggest selling album comes from a Disney Channel movie. And indie rock, or whatever you want to call it, is getting its hooks in the mainstream in a big way. So yeah, things are kind of weird. And into the middle of all of that comes this. When I was a young boy, my father took me into the city to see a marching band. This is the band My Chemical Romance, who you probably remember. Pop punk was big in the mid-2000s, too. Bands like Fall Out Boy and Panic at the Disco just taking over MTV. But even in a style that tends toward the super dramatic, this was something else. An entire album about what happens when you die. They called it The Black Parade. You can hear right there how big this band was going. And that's saying something because for a gothy emo band who'd come out of nowhere a couple years ago, My Chemical Romance was already big. They'd sold millions of records, they had huge radio singles, some very big budget, high concept music videos. But this project doubled down on everything. custom uniforms, stage makeup. They'd start live shows with their lead singer, Gerard Way, lying in a hospital bed. I mean, Liza Minnelli has a cameo on this record. That's how theatrical it was. This was a moment with a lot of death on TV. September 11th and Hurricane Katrina were pretty immediate memories. And the band's response to that was to create a whole world where death is a celebration. And we march toward our inevitable end together. Yet, when I listened to it, I felt totally alone. This fall marks a decade since the Black Parade's release. There's still a lot of fans who speak up for it, even though the band broke up years ago. Like these two. Hello, my name is Tracy Clayton, and I am a writer at BuzzFeed and co-host of the BuzzFeed podcast, Another Round with Heaven and Tracy. I am Hanif Willis-Abdurraqib. I am a columnist at MTV News and a poet. 
Tracy and Hanif are two of my absolute favorite writers on culture and race. They've been my chemical romance fans since the beginning. I wanted to talk to them because, well, I love this band too. But for years and years, I wouldn't admit it. It wasn't the music, which was actually just my taste. It was that taste meant something different to me then. I was in college, a half-black kid at a fancy white school, feeling kind of stuck between identities. It seemed so important to show people I was cool. And My Chemical Romance was not cool. It was too mainstream, too corny, maybe too white. I just felt like I had no one to talk to about it. And so now it's 10 years later, the Black Parade just got a deluxe reissue, which actually confused some fans into thinking the band was reuniting. It felt like the perfect time to have the conversation I wish I'd had 10 years ago with two black writers whose work I really respect. Tracy Clayton and Hanif willis Abdurraqib joined me to talk about how they fell for My Chemical Romance and the Black Parade. And we started with a refresher on just what the Black Parade is, a concept album about a young man who learns he's dying of cancer. So it's the song cycle goes through his memories and then eventually he dies. And his first memory when he was a child, the first me great memory he had was of a parade his father took him to. And so that is Gerard Way's idea of what carries you to the afterlife is your first fond memory. Tracy, do you remember first hearing it? Like, how? what was your introduction? Were you a fan already by the time this record came out? Yes, I was. And I had become a fan um, whatever year Helena came out. It's 2004. So I saw the video on MTV. Mm -hmm. um, and I was like, this is weird and it's super beautiful. And it was just so fun to scream along with. For music entertainment, I had BET and I had MTV. And this is when MTV was still showing like music videos. And, uh, you know, being a black person in America, you know, like certain parts of white culture just sort of like make their way into your little bubble, your little sphere. And um, this is one that made it in and really, really stuck. By the time the Black Parade came out, I was like, oh, it's my dudes. They got a new album out. <laughs> so Helena was a song from Three Cheers for Sweet Revenge. Mm -hmm. That was the previous record, their major label debut, the one that kind of put them on the map. And we should zoom out a little bit and say that My Chemical Romance was, was part of the, you know, the Warp Tour kind of scene of emo and pop punk type bands. They toured with bands like The Used, and they opened for Green Day when Green Day was touring its own concept album, yeah, American Idiot. American Idiot, yeah, yeah. Was that your world, either of you? Were you clued into to the rest of that, or was your interest in this band an outlier? Oh, I was a Warped Tour kid. Yeah. I mean, I grew up in the Midwest, and I grew up a lot uh, in the Midwest pop punk and punk scenes. We would take road trips to Chicago mm. uh, to see Fall Out Boy in the early days. Emo seems like quintessentially Midwestern. Yeah. I know a lot of it is from there, but it's just like there's something that feels sort of inherent to it. I think anywhere where there's like a large amount of space and a large amount of like the angst that comes out of being young and having nothing to do. Mm -hmm. I remember very, very vividly living. I had just moved back home to Louisville from Philly and I was miserable. I was so like, it was the closest I probably come to depression. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, man, I'm like 25. I'm living in my mom's attic. I feel like a failure. I'm working this job that I hate, blah, blah, blah. I didn't have a car. 
And this one particular day, I was just like, I'm just gonna go for a walk. And so I walked like the length of the city and I was listening to My Chemical Romance the entire time. Well, it rains and it pours when you're out on your own. If I crash on the couch, can I sleep in my clothes? I spent the night dancing, I'm drunk, I suppose. If it I was just so... I guess taken and wrapped up in like what the music did for me in those moments because like when I'm listening to Gerard Way scream I feel like he's like plucking the scream out from inside of me and like putting it out into the world and it was really really therapeutic. That is interesting because I I too loved them most after I had had to move back home mm. like in my early 20s. Interesting. I moved back into my dad's house and worked a job I hated. Um, <laughs> and I, I was already a fan but like when the Black Parade it was 2006 so when the Black Parade came out I was like living in my childhood bedroom working at a dollar store mm. hating my life. Um, <laughs> MCR was from we should say they were from New Jersey most of them. The origin story that gets floated around about the beginning of this band was that Gerard Way the lead singer and songwriter uh, was on his way to New York for work when the World Trade Center attack happened, 9-11, and decided that he needed to do something different with his life. Right from the start, there's a kind of bold aesthetic. You look at the videos from Three Chairs for Sweet Revenge, and they look like little movies. You've got Helena, which you mentioned, which is this kind of Busby Berkeley musical dance number set at a funeral. I'm not okay, I promise. Kind of a freaks versus jocks 80s teen movie. And then we get the Black Parade in 2006. And by this point, they're a known quantity. What does this record sound like? I remember when it came out, there was a lot of talk of them taking this really large musical leap into sounding like Queen. Uh huh. But I never thought that. I thought it was a natural progression of their sound. I mean, they were always playing with what I felt like was an evolution of like Phil Spector's production style, trying to put as many instruments as possible into a small space. People associate rock operas with Queen, so I get the comparisons, but mm-hmm. I felt more like it was not that experimental in sound, but very experimental in concept. We start out high concept like immediately. The first sound that you hear is a heart monitor that kind of syncs up in time with music. Now come on, come all to this tragic affair. Wipe off that makeup, what's in is despair. So throw on the black dress, mix in with the lot. You might wake up and notice you're someone you're not. If to me, it sounded like um, poetry. This is a, a thing that I try not to tell people, but I was a poet for a really long time. <laughs> and <laughs> I feel like this album, any of their songs, honestly, like these are the poems that I would write if I hadn't realized how pretentious I was being in the moment. (laughs) (laughs) You know, and so um, I think I picked up on the fact that it was a concept album. I never knew what the story was. For me, it's it's such an outlier when it compared to the things that I do listen to, like when it comes to what I call white folks music. You know, it's like the popular stuff that's being played on MTV, not stuff that I have to like search for. But since it was just so like weird to me anyway, like I could get with it because I had already accepted that like this is something that's so different from what I'm used to that, you know, the sound is like I'm into it. Yeah. What I thought was cool about the Black Parade was how they so they leaned into the concept so heavily. Like they wore those like marching band outfits for like two years. You know what I mean? Like they wore those things for like two whole years. I think it raised the bar for what the genre could do as far as theater Mm. and as far as like fully committing to the mission and message of an album. The emo bands of that era were trying to make concept albums constantly. 
Um, what do you think that is? I think a lot of them were just like people, like dudes who like fashioned themselves novelists, uh-huh. right? like, mm. but just couldn't get the job done on the novel. Front. <laughs> <laughs> and that's why a lot of those concept albums are bad. A lot of them have good songs, but you can't follow the narrative thread. The Black Parade evolved the idea of the con- what the concept album could be by giving a single, firm narrative to hone in on uh, and then letting the music do the rest of the work. And if your heart stops beating, I'll be here wondering Did you get what you deserve? The ending of your life and if you get to have... So we've established that everybody around this table is a fan, so yes. it's a safe space. <laughs> <laughs> do you remember the first time you told someone you were a fan? Like, was it weird getting into this, and did you feel like you had to disclaim it at all? Um, I did not feel like I had to disclaim it. I guess the first time I probably mentioned it so that other people could, like, hear or see in this case was probably on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Um, and probably just like, oh, it's a, I'm feeling kind of gloomy. Uh, it's a My Chemical Romance kind of day. It's not something that I felt like, you know, I feel so weird and alone because I listen to this music. I should go find other black people who listen to it. I didn't have that response. And I also didn't have the, um, you know, I'm black and I'm ashamed of liking this band of weird white dudes with eyeshadow on. I didn't have that (laughs) either. I was just so sustained by like what the music just did for me. Hanif, how about you? Did you feel, was was there any kind of conflict in terms of how you presented yourself as a fan? I mean, I grew up around like punk kids in the Midwest. My black friends were punks and my white friends were punks and you know all of my friends were at least adjacent to the punk scenes that were happening if anything there was kind of an idea that my chemical romance was not seen enough like Mm -hmm. they were not like on the quote-unquote emo scene because they weren't addressing the kind of angst head-on that a lot of those other bands were they weren't addressing like heartbreak or discomfort with where you live i mean they were like talking about like death and confronting like dark things in a way that i think made them less accessible. So in some ways, a lot of my friends were like, uh, I don't know if they're good. You know, it was like, I was like, I like my chemical romance. And they'd be like, I don't know if they're that great. Yeah. yeah. What I guess I've been trying to get at, I mean, this band was not entirely white. It's worth noting. Ray Toro, lead guitar player, his family was Puerto Rican and Portuguese. But I think, I mean, in most people's eyes, they fit into the generally held assumption at the time that rock music, especially punk, is guitar music by and for white people. We don't need to go into uh, the historical reasons for why that's (laughs) completely incorrect. But it's such a sticky idea. I mean, I feel like we still deal with that. And I wonder why that is, why we can't shake the idea, even at this point when the distinctions around genre have become so much less strict than they were 5, 10, 15 years ago, why we still run into this idea that certain music is for certain kinds of people and certain music is by certain kinds of people. Hmm. So this reminds me of a, an experience that I had. I was, remember when I confessed that I used to be a poet? Um, I was you actually- You have to confess. No, you got a poet in the no, room. I, you should you send me what? your poems. I will not. <laughs> <laughs> I would not do that to you. I would like you to have a happy life. My poetry would not. Um, but I was studying uh, poetry in grad school. I was there for all of two months, and I was like, this is not, yeah, <laughs> this yeah. Is not what I'm supposed to do with myself. For one reason, well, one, my anxiety was like peak. And two, I was one of two black people in the entire poetry program, I think, or at least in my poetry workshop. It was disorienting because the way that they discussed art was just completely different and backwards from the way that I was like sort of taught and trained to read and consume art and poetry. How so? I mean, growing up in Louisville, I didn't have a lot of um, 
like African American literature classes or anything, but I took it upon myself to like seek out writers of the Harlem Renaissance. And um, my experience, and of course I'm speaking very generally, is that black folks create art and consume art for the sake of the story versus the sake of the craft itself. Like they want to talk about like the technical aspects of a poem, like how does the enjambment in stanza three forward the idea yep. of the narratives, whatever. You're saying this was your poetry class yeah, yeah, was yeah, like yeah. this. And I'm like, can we talk about what it means? Like, I mean, there's there's a story that's being told here. And I think, well, the way that I rationalize this in my head is that, you know, black folks, we weren't allowed to read and write. A thing that they couldn't take from us was like creating art, song, dance, pictures, things of the sort. When you can't record your own history, when you can't verbalize your own stories, you find other ways to do that. And for us, a lot of times, it was through art. And then eventually through, you know, it came through in like literature, poetry, et cetera, because it, then it wasn't just a poem for the sake of being a poem. It was a poem for the sake of being the voice of a silenced people. Mm. I wonder if the comfort that we've gotten in just being so used to telling our own stories and trusting ourselves and our own voices has sort of bled into this. So now you've got this group of white kids again, you know, with this screaming music about death, and it looks so radically different from what, quote-unquote, black music has always been like and always sounded like and looks like. It's sort of like, oh, well, this is clearly not for me. This is not created for me or by me. It probably won't reflect me or my experiences or anything like that. I have no idea if that's true. I just... (laughs) I also think, though, that, like, so much of Black mythology and Black storytelling, in America at least, revolves around fantasies of the afterlife, right? Mm. Like, both Mm. from a religious standpoint and from a folklore standpoint and from a healing standpoint. Mm -hmm. And so I think there is something about the Black Parade that resonates with or sits alongside of the American Black mythology around death Mm. and what the possible afterlife looks like. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's also a big staple of gospel music. Yep. I always say, like, how bad must life on earth be when, like, all of your happy, joyous music is about dying and going to heaven, <laughs> right. you know? I can't think of anybody else who was going this big in 2006. Yeah. Like Kanye wasn't quite there yet. Yeah. And in the rock world, we were still kind of feeling like the great indie crossover of 2004. There was that couple of years where like all of a sudden everybody's parents suddenly knew who like Death Cab for Cutie and the really? Shins were. Yeah. Um, and the thing that we now call poptimism hadn't mm-hmm. quite taken hold, right? Like you, in certain circles, and I can only speak to my own experience, but like amongst my friends, like you could say that toxic or Since You've Been Gone was a well-constructed song. But popular music, top 40 music, there would always be an aura of this isn't normally my kind of thing around it. Do you think that things have changed, that there's a different tone around it now? You know, the Black Parade was interesting because the Black Parade was one of those albums that was just like critically acclaimed on a lot of platforms that normally wouldn't even give it the time of day. Mm -hmm. And I think that kind of pushed the narratives forward a little bit, right? Like when you make an album that is undeniable, then it has to be talked about in a way that represents what it's built. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I mean, I think we've, we've come a long way in, as far as the discussion goes, but I think that's because a lot of the people in our circles are the children of that era. Right? Yeah. Like, we grew up, you know, we were like teens or in our early 20s in the, the mid early mid-2000s and saw what it was to love an album for what it actually was. I was glad to hear you mention Twitter, Tracy. That platform in particular, I mean, that's how I found both of your work. Mm. And it's a way of knowing what one's peers 
think and are interested in and watching and listening to that just wasn't there before. Twitter's actually founded in 2006. Mm-hmm. You know, at this point, I mean, you got black Twitter, you got media Twitter. I would argue there's black media Twitter. <laughs> what I'll say is that seeing people my age who I respect and admire talk openly about a band like this is both validating and makes me a little bit sad because at the time, I think My Chemical Romance is one of the ones that I wouldn't let myself have. It was something that I enjoyed in private. Mm. Um, I rocked with the singles a little bit, but I, I couldn't quite dive into its world. They're gonna clean up your looks with all the lies in the books to make a citizen out of you. What's your favorite song? on the Black Parade. Oh, I knew you were going to ask this. Okay, you go first, you go first. I, um, I love Teenagers mm. uh, because of the absurdity of it. Like, the hook is, is absolutely absurd. It's kind of like a T-Rex kind of yeah. vibe. Yeah, it's very mm. T-Rex-like. I'm really always still, like, jarred by the song Cancer by how, like, honest and, and rich it is. But I think, ultimately, because it's just, like, the best possible album ending song. And because of all that went behind the music video for it, I think Famous Last Words is like a titanic mm. My Chemical Romance song. No, I know. If I were to like look at all their songs laid out across a, a table, that's, that's the one that I think will go down in history as one of their greatest pieces of art. That song got me, it's one of the songs that got me through my breakup before I moved back to Louisville. Yeah. I listened to Famous Last Words and a bunch of Amy Winehouse songs. <laughs> <laughs> There's something in that hook that I think lets you project any kind of loss into it. Yeah. It doesn't necessarily have to be cancer or even death specifically. It could be anything that you're feeling conflicted about having to let go of. And I just I just love the music video so much. And that's the one with the crazy backstory, right? They like yeah. set themselves on fire making that video. Yeah. So in the the first video, the Welcome to the Black Parade, there's the like parade float and all the people and all the accessories. And then in the final video for the album, this famous last words, all they set it all on fire. So they're playing in front of the burning parade float. Um, and they play for a long time. Well, the recording of the video, they played for a long time. And the story behind it is the drummer, uh, Bob Breyer, said his leg, his leg had third-degree burns on it oh by the time they were done. And Ray Toro, like, broke his fingers. Jeez. And Gerard Way, like, tore some muscles in his leg. It sort of seems like you hear that story and it's like, wow, I wonder if they thought they would ever make music again. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, did they ever make anything this good again? We haven't talked at all about Danger Days, which Danger was their Days. last record uh, from 2010. <laughs> it's okay. Danger Days is fine, but it's not. It's not inspired, right? I think. I think there's a weird. If you close out your last album by recording visuals in which you like legitimately set yourselves on fire, mm-hmm. then like maybe it's tough to meet that inspiration head on with the next project. But I do appreciate that they didn't try to top. The Black Parade. I appreciate that they made a different album. This conversation came out of the idea, the brief glimmer, that My Chemical Romance might be reuniting. They're not, but if they were making music right now, do you think you'd still be listening? I would listen. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think they would be able to mold themselves to make music that would like fit the time. 
I think Gerard Way is like a visionary in the sense that he knows what's happening around him and able to fit himself into whatever mold it takes to execute a really effective album. And I think for me, they're just a band that's really earned my trust. Yep. Like, I have a short attention span, and it's very, very rare for me to fall in love with an album from an artist or a band and then listen to the next one and be like, oh, this is as good as the first one. It's pretty rare, like, mm-hmm. unless you're like Whitney Houston or like, uh-huh. you know, <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. or D'Angelo. So they've, I feel like I would follow them, like, wherever they would go. That's Tracy Clayton and Hanif Willis of Durakeeb. Thank you both so much. Thank you. Support for this NPR podcast and the following message come from Delta Airlines, offering Delta Comfort Plus, including a wide selection of unlimited complimentary snacks and drinks. Delta aims to make your travel experience as easy and comfortable as possible, so you arrive refreshed and ready to take on the world.